You guys ready for Stranger Things? I've <laughs> been watching that. In fact, uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but um, Michael Rabb has created this amazing uh, visual audio experience at his house where he has a projector that projects on the, just like the, a big wall. They've got this amazing sound system. He invited some people to go watch Stranger Things at his house, and, and I was invited, but they started without me. Um, I was like an hour late, but still, and... Um, and I, I saw them watching this as that night, and his, his house is downtown. It's real close to the train station. Actually, you can tell it's by the, sta- the trains because the uh, projector starts rocking whenever the trains go by, and it has that kind of thematic or dramatic uh, expression. And um, I saw them all hanging out in, in, in Mike's place. Uh, they've got like a big couch that goes against like this old big window. And so I was like, they started without me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them. So I walked up behind them. I was waiting for like a really scary moment. I could see them. And I was waiting for like the, the, the actual show to get scary because it was like just this really fun 80s part. And I was like, this isn't going to scare them. Um, and so I waited and I waited. It took a long time. I was there for like two hours just kind of, no. I just, <laughs> I I was, and they, they were just hanging out, kind of talking, whispering, watching the show. And then all of a sudden it got real scary. And you heard like, like, you know, like a terrible noise. And I was like, Shaka! and I hit it. And Michael was like this. He was like, he had this look on his face. He was like, and then like everybody else jumped off off the couch and uh, they wouldn't let me in. It was kind of a bummer, but you guys been watching Stranger Things? Yeah, um, we're in this we're in this series called the Journey, and really what it's about is 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 looking at God's people, a story of God's people, Israel, and and looking how this is actually their story is very similar to our story. How God is with them, and he's with us every step of the journey. And learning, to me, maybe ask the question, am I aware of how God is with me every step of the journey? Some of you guys might be here today, and like, that's good news for you, that God is, that God is with you. And maybe some of you guys weren't even planning on being here, but you found yourself in, a, in this building, and, um, and you needed to hear that this is a place you can belong before you believe. You don't have to believe what I believe to be here. Um, you, can re- you can have the gift of relationship. You can be loved. You can be accepted before you change a thing. And that's good news for all of us, isn't it? And uh, I just wanted to remind us of that today. And we're all on this journey. Where are you at? Where are you headed? It's not so important where you've been or even where you're at now. The most important thing is where are you headed? And so uh, I just want to say a word of prayer and we're going to jump in today. I've been so excited about this day because this is, a, this is a, the launch of something very uh, close to my heart, the One Child Project. If you don't know about that, you'll find out in a little while. But let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for you. I'm so grateful that you've brought us all here together today. Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you lift those up who are down? Would you encourage those who are um, struggling right now? Would you give us hope? In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we had this, um, there's this moment where Israel comes to, to meet with God and Moses has freed them. They've left Egypt where they were slaves and every step of the journey they've been learning to trust God. They struggled trusting God, then he would come through and they'd trust him a little bit more, but then they wouldn't have food or they wouldn't have water or they'd face a, a battle and they'd just get scared again and they'd struggled trusting God and finally through this process of learning to, to know God more and more, uh, they come to Mount Sinai, and this is the mountain where Moses first met the Lord like personally 
um, before he ever went back to Egypt to free anybody. He was just a shepherd. And, he, and he, had, he had started there with his personal relationship with the Lord. And then he goes back to Egypt, frees those people. God actually frees them through Moses and brings them back to the, this mountain of worship where they hear God's voice. And it was so crazy because they, them hearing God's voice was a lot different than uh, hearing about God through Moses. They, they knew a lot about God through Moses, but uh, Moses was the only one who had heard God's voice, heard him speak, and had a close personal relationship. And you could see probably some of the people of Israel just being like, yeah, is it, did he really hear from the Lord? You know, a few skeptics being like, you know, we've been following this guy around the desert, and I know some crazy things have happened, but like, should we be trusting him? Did he really hear from the Lord? Like, I haven't heard from the Lord. And you, and you can understand there may be being some skeptics not believing that Moses was who he said he was, and, and he served the God who he said he served. And, and then they all are brought to this mountain. And the burning bush moment for Moses turns into the, like the burning mountain moment for all of Israel as they gather around the mountain. They can't get too close because God's so powerful and mighty and unbelievably uh, uh, awesome that they can only get so close or they'd actually die. And um, then God speaks from the mountain, and it's so thunderously perplexing and scary for them that they tell Moses, could you ask God not to do that again? Because all those skeptics, and did he really speak to you? All of a sudden, the mountain goes on fire. There's like wind and thunderous voice, and they freak out. Like, Moses, we just want to hear for, through you, God's voice. We don't want to do this anymore. It got a little bit too real. I don't know if you've ever experienced that with faith, where God also became very real, almost too real. But they experienced him. And in this story, they, they get this challenge to enter a relationship, a covenant, a committed relationship with God. And he said, I want you to be my kingdom of priests. And it, that's a hard thing to understand when I first came to it. I, I didn't really understand it. And, and, and last week, we started walking through what that means. But if I could just give you that, here, here's, the, here's the nugget of, of what that means and why it's important. A kingdom of priests is God saying, you are to be my priestly people, worshipers, where you focus on worshiping me and you're loyal to me, not worshiping other gods, but you worship me and help others worship me. And then you are to be kingly, priestly and kingly, that, that you're leaders. And God's kingdom, leaders are servants. They serve people. They serve others. They lift others up. A, a better word for it maybe in our culture is stewardship. That we receive the blessings that God gives us and then we manage and dispense them. We give them out to, to, to it properly and we order our lives properly and we, 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 we love creation. We love people really well. In fact, it's connected priestly and kingly. Being in a covenant relationship where we're living as worshipers and servant leaders or stewards. It, isn't it interesting that that theme runs from the beginning of the, of the Bible, the Old Testament, from Adam and Eve to Abraham? Israel, like I'm running through some big stuff. I don't have time to unpack it all, but I'm just giving you the overview. It runs to the New Testament where Jesus says you're to love God with everything you have. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor. Love God, priestly. Love your neighbor. Love the world, kingly. Do you see how it's connected? Revelation, it says it again. You're to be, even now in the... In, 
in our day and age to be kings and priests, servant leaders, not leaders like the world has where we, like our leaders are political and, or they're, you know, tabloid mongers, you know, like in our world, there's corruption and leadership is often powerful people trying to maintain power. And Jesus says, it's not to be that way among my community, among a community of kings and priests, worshipers and servants. It is to be a people who use love as power. To lift others up instead of yourself up. He's like, I'm flipping the kingdom. And I'm going to take people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, um, I'd love to get more into that. But, but we just have so much to get through today. So I, I, I want to jump into to Moses' story. Where you see him getting the same challenge the people of Israel. Would you be a kingdom of priests? Moses, earlier in Exodus, gets a similar challenge where he's challenged to be kingly and priestly, to be a good servant leader and to be a worshiper of God and help others worship. He gets that challenge in Exodus 3. It says this in verse 4, when, when the Lord saw that Moses came over to look at the burning bush, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Priestly calling Here's God's calling. Here's God's voice. And learns to have a relationship with God. Then if we fast forward to verse 7, the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. Uh, the kingly calling, the kingly purpose of, of anybody who would, who would be in God's kingdom and follow Jesus is, is to hear the cry of the brokenhearted. God said he heard the cry of his people. So Moses hears God's calling and he hears the cry and God hears the cry and calls Moses uh, in, in verse 8. He's like, I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. Therefore, go Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You're to leave them out, lead them out of slavery. You're to lead them into, into like a place of relationship with me and toward the promised land, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And, and we live in a world where there's a lot of darkness going on and it's hard for people to see the light. And we as God's people are to be the people of blessing, the people who love God and love others. We are to be the ones who help people worship and we're to be the ones who help lead others out of their Egypt as we are being led out of Egypt. And when Moses is called to lead those people out of Egypt to freedom, he is, he is foreshadowing Jesus, the, the high king priest who comes on our, on our uh, behalf, dies for our sins, bleeds uh, for us so that we can have a relationship with God. And Jesus allows us to be led out of the slavery of sin, our Egypt. Are you with me so far? Now, this is a great calling that Moses gets. It's foreshadowing the greater Moses, Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus is like the new Moses who leads the new Exodus, who leads people out of Egypt and their slavery. But Moses gets this call from God, go free my people, I'm going to be with you. I, I am the God who created everything, now go. And what's Moses' response? Do you guys know his response? You got, any of you guys ever heard the story? Let me go through it with you a little bit. Um, Here's his response. The first uh, verse 11 of chapter 3 says this, But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
Isn't it funny? Most of us have heard the story of Moses that he was a leader and led people out of Egypt and stuff, but some of us don't know the process, the mentality he had to work through to get to becoming the leader that God asked him to be. Does that make sense? Like he went through a process. God Almighty, the Creator, you know, has this burning bush. He has this moment with him, and God says, "Will you go? I'm with you." And he's like, "Hold the phone." Wait a second. I just love this because he's so human. Who am I? And if you have your notes, you might want to take those out um, and jot a few things down. Who am I that I should go to, to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should lead Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Like, he immediately is like, this sounds like a great plan for somebody else. God, he hears God's call, learns about the cry. This is a cry for help that he's known since he used to live in Egypt and then he was exiled for 40 years to become a shepherd in the desert. And when he hears the call, he starts backing away. He starts trying to get out of it. And what I want to go through with you in this passage are four reasons people think that they're unqualified and unequipped to step into the calling that God has put on their life. Calling is your purpose. Calling is your vocation. Calling is what God is calling you to be and do. Does that make sense? Moses is called to be a freer of his people. And he starts trying to back out of the deal. And Why me? Who am I? And what he's really saying there is, what if I'm unworthy? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm unworthy? What if I'm not good enough? You ever, you ever felt that way about yourself when maybe you felt called to a higher calling? Um, you don't have to be a Christian to have felt maybe called to a higher calling and to serve somebody or to step out and, and, and do something that, that might look crazy to other people or might just freak you out because, you know, like you could never see yourself doing it. But for Christians especially, if you've ever felt God pull on your heart and like you can't even express it fully but you know you need to do this thing a lot of times fear will creep in and and we'll have all these doubts and these reasons not to do it so the first one is well what if i'm unworthy what if i'm not good enough what if i i think there are a tremendous amount of people that come into church every week with a heavy feeling of unworthiness like i'm not worthy like I've got such a messed up life. Like, how could God use me? Like, I, I understand that he could use that person or that person because look at their life. I mean, they just look like they have it all together. But me, like my history, my past relationships, my past failures, my like weird idiosyncrasies, my like blind spots. The, like, how could God use me? Like, how could I be worthy? I think people come in into this building, and they come into church, they, they walk around with their lives, and one of the anchors that, that's holding them back from really, really moving is, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. Not good enough. And God answers that. He answers that with Moses, and God says, I will certainly be with you. What's he saying? What's God saying to him? I was like, well, what if I'm not qualified what if i'm not worthy who am i and god says this isn't about you moses this is not about you i want to use you and i want to change you and i want to use you to free other people he's like but i will be with you it doesn't matter whether you are worthy or not you're not worthy 
You have all sorts of things. You've been kicked out of Egypt for 40 years. You've been a shepherd. You've messed a lot of things up, but I will be with you. And some of us have to cling to that truth whenever we start backing away or we start getting like uh, crushed with the weight of unworthiness. I'm not good enough. We have to remember that there is a God who sent his son Jesus to be the greater Moses to bring forgiveness so that we could move forward. Jesus was worthy when we weren't. And then the, more, the most important thing is that God's with us. God's with us. And he doesn't condone every action or everything. That's not saying like, oh, everything's fine then. But when you are going toward the calling of God in your life and you start backing, maybe you've been burnt before and you're like, I don't want to do that again. Like I, that did not go well the last time I did that. I don't, you know, I don't know your story, but whenever you start to get that, like I'm pushing away thing, uh, you're, 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 you're struggling with the Moses conundrum. Like I'm not worthy. And God says, I am with you. It's not about your worthiness. It's about my worthiness. It's about like my power being at work in you. Now, Exodus 4 um, goes on to, to talk about some more of the objections of Moses. Moses says after that, well, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me because, and obey what I say? And then and they say this, the Lord did not appear to you. What if they don't believe me? And I think the, the objection there is, uh, well, what if I'm not credible enough? What if I'm not credible enough? Like, I'm just a shepherd I'm going to come into Egypt. I've been kicked out of Egypt, by the way. I'm in exile. I'm not supposed to go back. He had actually murdered somebody. He tried to free free somebody, and he committed murder. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. Like, how does God use a murder? Like, (laughs) that don't make sense. And God sends this guy back, and here's this guy who's been in exile for those reasons. Come back and say, I've heard from the Lord, and I will set you free. Follow me. Yeah, sure, Moses. Keep the knives away from that one. I mean, the Bible is so real. It doesn't like, it doesn't varnish things. What if they don't believe me? What if I'm not? I wonder if Moses struggles with it. Like, he really believes, like, I don't think I'm credible. I wouldn't believe me. What's God's response to that? The Lord asked him, what's, what's that in your hand? The staff, he replies. Throw it on the ground. So Moses throws the staff on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Now, out of this story, this is one of the parts that makes the most sense to me. (laughs) Throw this on the ground and it turns into a snake. Not that part. Like that's like, whoa, God power, right? But then Moses seeing a snake and being like, I'm out of here and just running. (laughs) Can you just imagine that? Like the burning bush and God's presence, holy ground, sandals off and then boom, snake. I'm gone. You know, just like, I'm out of here. And, and the Lord calls out to me. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. <laughs> this thing slithering around. That, that thing? I, I imagine like a big old snake. I mean, I don't think it was tiny. This thing was a big staff, right? Why don't you, gra- you grab it by the tail, God. <laughs> so he stretched out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand again. This will take place... He continued so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who has been with them and their family, the God who is eternal, will be with them and that he appeared to you. Let them know, like, I will do things through your ordinary life that don't make sense, that reveal that I am with you. I'll do things through your life where people will look at you and say that that life, Moses' life, his words, his actions don't make sense. 
unless God's a part of the equation. Let me ask you that. Do you believe that God can work in your life so that people look at you and say, that don't make sense unless God's a part of that? Remember Moses is like, oh, what if I'm not credible enough? And God says, what's in your hand? Staff. What does the staff represent? What does the staff represent? It's his vocation. He's a shepherd, right? That's his work. It is, it, the, the staff is like the, the tool, the instrument of a shepherd to take care of his sheep. Keep the wolves away. Keep the sheep in line. And it represents his vocation. What he's been doing the last 40 years, it's the thing that he walks with. It's with him. Like it, it's, it's part of his identity. It's part of uh, what he does and who he is. And it's part of his experiences and all of the skills and abilities that he has in his life. Or, you know, there's a connection that's symbolically um, connected to that staff. And, and there are the skills, the talents, the lack of talent, the lack of skills. All those things are wrapped up in that. God, God says, what do you have in your hand? Throw it on the ground. And God does something incredible with it. Like, unbelievable. Like God, I think, is teaching Moses, like, I will take all of, all of your skills and your abilities and your lack of abilities, and I will take your identity, I will take this, all of your experience, all, all that you are, and all that you aren't, and I will do something miraculous through you that you could never do on your own. I will do something powerful that you could, you could never do within your own power. So my question is, what do you have in your hand? Like, what represents your life? And you're like, I'm not credible enough, God. And God always comes back when he's calling you to follow him, when he's calling you to be a person who over and over is a kingly, priestly person who loves God and loves people, who is a blessing to the world, who is a part of a community that is a blessing to the world, a light on a hill that shines in the darkness. When God is calling you to be a part of that community, to do those kinds of things and to receive God's grace and give God's grace, receive God's forgiveness, give God's forgiveness, and and what you receive, you give, what you are blessed with, you bless others with and you're, there's this like divine straw that just blows God's divine air through your life and changes others and changes you when you are called to that kind of calling and you begin stepping away and inching away and wanting to run away from the snake God says what's in your hand throw it down I'm going to do something incredible with you trust me well from this point on Moses just goes and does amazing things right nope but Moses replied to him, Please, Lord, I have, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recent, or, or since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Like, I, you know, I, I can't even speak well, and it's going to require speaking. And, and what he's saying is, what, you know, what if I don't have it, what it takes? What if, I, uh, what if I'm not gifted enough? What if I'm not gifted enough? The Lord said to him, Who placed a mouth on humans? Who gave you that mouth? I don't know if he had a stutter or a speech impediment or he just, he was slow to speak or whatever it was. He, he felt, felt that he had some disadvantage, some disability that disqualified him. And he's trying to grab onto it because he doesn't want to do this. God says, who, who put a mouth on humans? Who made a person mute or makes a per, person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. 
I will teach you what to say. Your words will be my words. Don't you tell me that your disability or your perceived a lack of ability is going to prevent me from using you. How dare you? I created you. I will speak through you. Trust me. And then Moses said, okay, let's do this, right? I said, there's four reasons, right? Please, Lord, Moses says after this, please, Lord. After he's exhausted everything, he's like, please, Lord, send somebody else. Send somebody else. That objection, I think, is just saying, I'm too afraid. There must be somebody more qualified. I'm too afraid. Too scared. I'm freaking out here. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses because he's dealing with a human, right? He's like, ah, I just turned your staff into a snake, you idiot. Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, he's on his way now to meet you. I, already, I, I knew you needed company. I knew you needed support. He's already on his way. Why don't you trust me? So, you know, it strikes me now as I'm, as I'm teaching this. Um, how many times have we said no to God or been reluctant and like frozen analysis by paralysis? We're not stepping into God's calling. We're not trusting him. And he's already sent us the help we need. It gets already headed here, and we're afraid to go there because we don't know that that's happening. And God's orchestrating this all. Like, will we trust Him that every step of the way, God will, He will, He'll, He'll have the next step. He'll have the, the the thing we need. He'll have the person. He'll have the relationship. He'll have the plan. He'll have the next step. Verse fifteen, it says, "You will speak with Him and tell Him um, what to say, and I will help you both, uh, you and Him, to speak." And we'll teach you both what to do. Like, I'll be with you. I'll teach you. I'll show you. I'm going to do, I'm going to just baby you. I'm going to, I'm going to lead through you guys. You knuckleheads. I love you. Says God. Um, when we look at this, every hesitancy, every objection, every resistance that Moses has to stepping into the calling to be a priestly, kingly leader. I think what we're learning is that um, God doesn't call the equipped or the qualified. He equips the called. He qualifies the called. God does it. And I think some of us, like, we're like waiting for the perfect moment to step into our calling, to step into that thing that we know we're supposed to be doing, step into faith, maybe just like to trust God for the first time, or to step into like serving and loving and doing all these incredible things. And we're like, We're afraid. And like we're waiting for this perfect moment. Like, God, this perfect moment. And this moment comes by and we're like, not quite perfect enough. And this other one, <laughs> almost. And then, you know, this amazing, like, you, you got to do this. And God's orchestrating help. You don't quite see it yet. And you're like, I'm not qualified. I'm unworthy. I'm this, I'm that. And, and then it goes by and you're just like, eh, just standing there like on the edge of the dock, like waiting to jump in and you're never going to do it. How many of us live our lives of faith like that? When are we going to trust him? And when are we going to know that like it's, 
It's not a like. It's not a deal of uh, walking by faith. Isn't like walking by sight. We're like, oh, here you've provided this. Now I'll trust you. You've provided this relationship. Now I'll trust you. You've provided this insight and this uh, this business prospect. Oh, it's working. So now I can step on it. That's not how it works. Walking by faith, not by sight, is like learning to trust that God will provide where He's called us to go. He, God doesn't call the equipped. He He equips the called. So this step, I'm going to trust you, Lord. And then, boom, he brings it. Okay, and now I'm here, and you're kind of freaking out. And you're like, I, I feel called over here. And this, this relationship's not, I don't have it, or it's not where it should be. But I'm going to step out and trust. And, wow, it's okay. Like, this is way better than I thought. And then, like, oh, this business venture and this thing. Like, I'm going to really trust him. I'm going to trust him. And then you step out, and God provides as you need. And sometimes things don't go the way we thought. Like this thing fell through. God, where were you? And God's like, I was there. I'm with you. I'm here right now. I'm going to walk through it with you. Trust me. Maybe I'm trying to do something in you before I'm trying to do something through you. Let me say that again. Maybe I'm trying to do something in you before I do something through you because you're not ready. And I need to get you ready. Come on, somebody. Are you guys with me? This is, a, this is a message on faith. Will we trust God? Will we hear God's call? And we, will, will we hear the cry of others? Will we hear the cry of others? We have community groups that do this. Uh, they hear the cry in their community communities. They hear the cries at like a school and they go serve at a school. They hear the cry in, you know, in, their, in their city or in, in a relationships that they know about. And they go serve and they go bless. All of our community groups at this church have like an area where they go serve. And there are people who are doing this. In fact, I want to show you just a few pictures of being a people of blessing. Hearing the cry and serving. Um, and uh, if, if we have those, uh, here, here we are. Um, this is Spinning Elementary School. There's a community group that's like, there was a cry and someone was, was connected to the school and they're like, let's go serve them. So they, they did a bouncy house and fun time and got to meet families and, and uh, just build a time for, of relationship building. It was just awesome. And uh, I, I was so fun to be there. I got to go just enjoy it. There's a community group that adopted a park and we're like, we, you know, we want to bless this people who go to this park. Let's clean it up. So that was something they did. We had another group that, um, young adults that were like, we need to fix, you know, this building and, and uh, that, that kind of is, is a pl- safe place for, for gals who need it. There's a place called the Haven in Ording. And uh, it creates a safe environment, fun environment, uh, learning environment for kids. That's the prohibition that's going on in Ording. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> people of Ording are like, oh. There's a few of you guys in Ording. I'm just joking. Uh, it's unbelievable what, what happens when we hear the cry and we respond to the cry. And quit waiting. Quit waiting for the perfect moment. Uh, You've got to step out. You've got to trust Him. You've got to trust Him. I want to um, show you a, vi- a video of our church as a whole. You saw some community groups doing different blessing events. I want to show you one that's as a church as a whole that we've gotten behind, that we heard the cry of a certain community, the foster care community in, in our area. And, and we've done this the last few years, but we heard a cry and we wanted to respond to it. Would you just watch this video of the way our church has responded? That was amazing last year. I love being part of this church. Um, there was a, there's a need in our area to bless the foster care community. And... Um, 
And so a few years ago, there were some people in our church that were connected to an organization um, that's faith-based, that, that's trying to place kids in homes and get foster care families. And many of those families we were finding feel forgotten. They feel disconnected. They feel, man, we're like, sometimes they feel like they're not even seen in their own church or faith communities because they're carrying heavy weight. They're trying to figure out how to be parents and how to do all this. And a lot of the kids that are coming into the foster care system are, are hurt and broken. Uh, uh, we, we've been learning these, a few of these statistics. and I just want to share them with you so you really understand some of the need and how our church can respond. You guys with me? So here's, here's some statistics for you guys to know. 8,800 children are in state care. This is the most recent I've been able to get from Olive Crest, which is the organization we partner with. Um, That's almost 9,000 kids in our state that are uh, in need of care uh, for foster care. Um, There's 5,000 foster homes today, which is 1,000 less homes than maintained in the last few decades. Like we have less answers for more of a need. Um, The kids that are coming into the foster care system, whether because of a horrible tragedy where they've lost their parents... Uh, there's no one that can take care of them or their parents have had lost the privileges of parenting them because of addiction and bad decisions, whatever, whatever it may be, they're coming out of hurt. And, um, and here are just some of the statistics uh, about the reality in, in our world for this community. 33% will become homeless that come out of the foster care system. Currently, 25% will go to jail or prison. That just blows me away. 50% are unemployed by age 24. Less than 3% will earn a college degree. And this one just killed me. 60% of women involved in FBI raids in 2013 in sex trafficking were children from foster care. There's a huge need, friends. There's a huge need. And when we talk about being a people of blessing, being a church that steps into the calling and hears the cry, I'm not talking about like a church that's all about like learning knowledge or coming, gathering together to learn about how we're superior to other people. No, 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 no. Like religion, true religion, James 1 tells us this, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Saying when it's hearing the cry and responding to their cry. Being the church is being a light tangibly and uh so our 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 church has been able to do this awesome event and it's um it's called the one child project and we we have a big christmas party and uh and it's just one aspect we're wanting to continue to step into more and more and find more ways to bless this community but it's one way that our church as a community can come together by we buy gifts and um, as a church, and we give gifts to kids, uh, like over 300 kids, maybe 400 kids this year. And then their families are there. We have this huge party with all the stuff you guys saw. And it's going to be incredible this year. This year's is going to be December 2nd. It's from 10, or it's from 10 to, to 12 in the morning on a Saturday, December 2nd. It's going to be incredible. And there's three ways that you can help. The three ways are this. Grab a tag and uh, or grab a few tags and, and buy gifts for kids. Each kid's going to get a gift. Each tag represents a child. 
So grab a, grab a tag in the back. We've got a table back there today. There's a, there's a flyer. It tells you a bunch of information on how to do things and how to be involved. Second way is join a group. We are, our, our community groups are the, are the teams that are serving in different areas, whether it's bouncy houses or food prep or you know all the different things that go into this, this party. The groups are, are how you get involved. So mark that on your connection card. Get in a group and start serving. And then um, the third way is this. We're going to have a number of work parties. The first one is this Wednesday. Come to that Wednesday night here at the Station House. Um, we're going to have a work party. And again, there's a flyer in the back. You can go to whitewater.community, um, which is our place where we have information. It has the same information. It'll let you know all the times and places and ways that we're going to be doing this. But I, my hope is that this is just the start, that we can go deeper. I'm hoping that in the process of being the church, that there are going to be people out here today, or maybe who haven't even come to our church yet, that are going to be called to be a foster family. Or called to like get behind and financially and relationally get behind families that are foster families and support them and love them. I'm just really hoping that our church can be that kind of church. That we can be the Moses or we can be the Aaron that supports Moses. If someone's feeling the call to go help free some people from some hurt. Are you guys with me? I want to invite a friend out really quick. Um, this is my friend Kate Rav. This is actually Michael's sister, and she works um, for Olive Crest, our partner organization for the One Child uh, Project. And I was just hoping that you could maybe share a little bit to help us put some faces to those statistics. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, I love that you use James one twenty seven because I think when I read that this morning when I was praying about this mor- about this morning, <laughs> um, it just made me think. It's just there are kids. You know, as the church, these kids, those statistics are our kids. Um, And those statistics make up real children, you know, like ripped jeans and braces and mismatched socks. They're regular, real kids. And so I'm hoping this morning to kind of humanize that statistic because it can be really overwhelming when you just see numbers. Um, So just two kids this morning to talk about. Um, The first is we're going to call her Lex, um, and she's 14 years old. Uh, she's on my caseload, and um, she is in foster care for the second time in her life because um, she was in foster care when she was three, and then she got adopted um, and reentered the system two years ago because we found out that her adoptive family was sexually abusing her. Um, so here's a kid who really has no reason to believe that she belongs in a family, that, um, that parents are safe, and that she deserves love. And when we talk about the 60% of girls that get trafficked um, or are trafficked or foster kids, we're talking about girls like Lex because if you just think about it for a second, your only form of attachment that you've learned as a kid is in a sexual context you're going to seek that out for attachment. Um, And so the good news is I think we've uh, interceded on Lex in time. Um, Two years ago, uh, she was placed in a home um, of a couple that was 23 years old. (laughs) So they, 23 years old, they'd been married for two years, and they said yes to foster care. And the first person they got called about was, at the time she was 12, 12-year-old girl, and with this case of trauma. And they said yes to Lex, yes to her trauma, yes to her whole story, and yes to her future. Um, and just a couple weeks ago, she got asked to write a paper about a parent um, 
like the whole class got asked this, and that's always awkward for foster kids to write about a parent, and especially Lex, who's had multiple sets of parents that have been um, harmful to her. But it's really cool because now that she's been in this couple's home, um, she wrote a paper about her mom, her foster mom, but she calls her her mom. And I just wanted to share like a few of the statements. She said, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's long, but... She said, she's the best listener, and she will sit there and just hear you out for however long. My mom is like a therapist without a time limit. My mom is more than just a mom. She's my painting buddy, my Starbucks date, my roller coaster buddy, my therapist, my cook, my tutor, my muddy buddy, and most importantly, my best friend. I love you, Mama. And she read this to our state team. Um, State team is like all the people on her uh, legal side that advocate for her and we were just we just don't get to see this very often um, with kids that have a trauma like hers but this family is believers and said yes um, and then Rex he's my 17 year old boy on my caseload right now and um, he came into care because his mom passed away of cancer and then a couple weeks later his dad was killed in a car accident um, and so he loves Mozart and he's in chess club and he just applied early um, application to Harvard for med school Um, and he he chose med school his words to me was he chose med school because he wants to help other kids not be in the same situation that he's in he hopes that they don't have to be there Um, but this last week he did an art project he was sharing with me um, and they were asked by the teacher to draw something that described who they were and then write a paragraph about it and so he chose um, to draw like an ID badge um, and then he blacked it out um, with like a black crayon and his paragraph and his kind of breakdown of what he did was he said I'm familyless so I'm identityless and it struck me because um, Rex has a home right now um, he's living under a roof but he realizes the difference between a home and a family. And because he's family-less, he is identity-less, identity-less. And really what we're looking for is families that will say yes to show up at graduation and welcome them home for Christmas at the holidays and um, be their kids' grandparents. That's a family. Um, So we want to look beyond the 18-year mark where they age out and look into when we really need our families, which is 20 years from now. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. This is why we exist as a church, to hear God's call and to hear the cry and to do something. Do you hear the call and do you hear the cry? And will we be the church? Today, if you're feeling it, get up, go to that back table after church, Get some tags or get the information and, and help us bless this community. If you're feeling called to be involved in other ways and deeper ways, um, we have leaders that would love to talk with you and get you in connection. We want to be the church. And there are so many people that need God's love. Will we respond? I just wanted you to share one last piece with our, with our church. Yeah. So the piece I didn't tell you about the home that Rex is in right now is that his foster parents right now are in their late 60s, 
um, retirement, the golden ages, and um, they've been doing foster care for 32 years. They have five teen boys at a time. Um, I was there last night, and uh, it is so fun um, at their house. And when I think about how we disqualify ourselves, and I'm among that population of disqualifying myself, I look at that family and go, wow, they really, we could have disqualified them really fast, and somehow they're the ones that are doing the best job at our agency. Um, and so we sat, Mike and Evan um, came with me last night, and we sat down with them and kind of asked, why are you doing this? Do you feel like you're missing out on retirement? Are you missing out on what many of us build our life to then enjoy? Um, and... I want you guys to come, come back. back next week, hear that story. It's an incredible story, you guys. Good job, Kate. Let's pray together, and let's be the community that blesses. Father God, we love you. We're so grateful. Um, Lord, we want to see story after story of people who heard the call, maybe had a little resistance, but they decided to trust you. May that be true of our community, Lord. There are so many, so many areas of hurt whether it's our, in our own lives or in our culture. And we just ask that, that we, would, we would trust you, that you're at work in these areas, that we would be encouraged, that we would realize that we get to be part of the kingdom of light. And we get to lead people out of Egypt, out of the darkness, into the light, to trust in your Son. Help us to worship you with everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen.